All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we are digging into this whole Steve Nash situation, as well as a quick update on the Primo and standings. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. So this point in the season, we're about just under 10% of the way done. Most teams have completed about seven of the 82 games that they're going to play this year. Some teams are all the way up at eight. A lot of teams are at that seven mark, though. And the standings still are not quite what they expected them to be. It's nice to kind of see the Sixers rebound. I know, you know, they're kind of wrapping up their game against the Wizards right now and um, are teetering right around 500, but the you know, the the bounce back that they've had since the horrific, you know, one and three start has been, you know, promising for the team, you know, to continue to do well. The rest of the top of the standings in at least in the Eastern Conference is about what we expected with the Bucks, Cavs, and Celtics all at the top, you know, followed by the Raptors, Hawks, Knicks, Bulls, Wizards, and so on and so forth. You would expect the Heat to be a bit higher as well. Kind of surprising to see them and Brooklyn at the bottom of the standings. Um, but Brooklyn's been a mess. And of course, we have the Steve Nash situation, which we'll get to in a second. But Miami, Miami, it's surprising that they haven't been able to put you know together a good string of wins. They had a pretty impressive win against the Warriors last night. Uh, that was more so came down to a uh, successful challenge, right? And Steph Curry was fouled hitting a three. Uh, the, you know, Spolster went ahead and challenged it. And ultimately, you know, the call was reversed, which was really the dagger in a very, very close game uh, between the Heat and the Warriors. Um, you know, a lot of the teams in the West are also in a similar circumstance, right? You wouldn't expect the Clippers Mavs and Warriors to make up the 10, 11, 12 spots. And even the Timberwolves being in the ninth spot is a, is a little bit um, un, unexpected. Um, Blazers, Spurs in the top four, and Jazz, most of those teams should probably be in the bottom. Again, still very early in the season. We'd love to see you know the, the standings look a little bit more like what we expected, but that's kind of the beauty of the game. You never know who's going to step up. Um, and it's very early, you know, the Suns are kind of doing what they do on a yearly basis, leading the league, uh, as far as record goes, you know, the Bucks have the best, best record in the league, but Suns are right there, right behind them. And that's kind of been the case over the years, right? Usually the Bucks will take one of the top two, three spots and same with the Suns, unless, uh, you know, a sneaky team uh, surpasses them. They're, they're usually in that one seed, just a reg a great regular season team um still very early i mean we're just through october right now um and as i said before october is like preseason plus basically so you know we have another month here and we'll see how the the standings shake out but you know some impressive basketball from some unexpected places so far this season one of those unexpected places is actually the spurs the spurs have been pretty surprising given their Roster. I mean, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, Josh Richardson, Devin Vassell, Doug McDermott, Zach Collins, Gorgie Yang, Isaiah Roby. Like, this doesn't seem like a roster that would have two impressive wins over the Timberwolves, um, you know, as well as 
just putting it together to be at a five and two record, it's not something that you would expect from the San Antonio squad. I mean, Popovich came out and said himself, you know, nobody should bet on them to win the championship this year. And, you know, two of their wins come against uh, the Pacers, but the rest of the wins are fairly impressive. Um, you know, they lost to the Hornets in the season opener, then they lost, then they. Uh, beat the Pacers, beat the Sixers, beat the Timberwolves in back-to-back games on the road, uh, beat the Bulls in a close one, and uh, beat the Timberwolves again. So they've beaten the Timberwolves uh, two out of three. Excuse me, they did lose to the the Timberwolves in that second game. Um, But beating them two out of three times, beating the Bulls, beating the Sixers, those are all very impressive, you know, wins for the Spurs and now unfortunately Josh Primo has been released from the team due to mental health he's just taking a a break but essentially what's happening is he's put in a place that is mentally unable to perform Um, now there have been some allegations against Josh Primo for you know exposing himself to some women in the Spurs organization, and who knows if the two are connected and to what level those allegations were waived in 2021. Um, and he was released from the team, so he is a free agent, free to sign elsewhere. I think he already has um, signed with another team, <clears throat> but you know, it's very strange timing i would say um between the accusations and that's obviously a developing scenario but from his statement josh primo's statement um he is stepping away from the game due to mental health and to focus on that uh and hopefully he has a speedy return to basketball but it's it's just kind of weird timing with obviously what's come out um aside from that so hopefully it doesn't go the way of Deshaun Watson, where you know everybody's basically convinced that this guy is a sicko, uh, or Antonio Brown, same situation. But and then he's eventually allowed to play. Deshaun Watson return in two weeks, you know, should be a, a, a fairly interesting, at least drive. I think he'll come out probably get booed um, by the Texans organization and fans, and then you know proceed as as usual through the rest of the season. Um, and I'm hoping for Josh Primo because he has shown a lot of promise in the minutes that he did get for the Spurs, you know, this season as well as last season that he's able to return and, and really shine on this Spurs team that's young and, and shown some real, real promise this far in the season. Now, you know, will he return? Will he return speedily? Will it go essentially the way of the um, Ben Simmons situation where he never truly comes back? to where he was who knows right um all we know is that currently he is off the team and will remain so for the foreseeable future um but that was just one of the developing stories from this week and it was centered around a a spurs team that was had surprised some people um with the wins that they've gotten so far now you know tonight they do play the uh, they play the Raptors, so we'll see how that goes. They don't have Fred Van Vliet or Otto Porter, so it should be maybe an even another win for the Spurs organization. But, you know, this st- the schedule does continue to get tough with games against the Clippers, two games against the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Bucks, 
Warriors, their next quote-unquote easy game isn't until they play the Trailblazers all the way on the 15th. So they kind of have two weeks of a gauntlet here to go through. Now the Clippers have looked a bit down, you know, with some pretty bad losses, back-to-back losses against Oklahoma City, which is just terrible for them, especially with the firepower and, and coaching and everything that the Clippers have. For them to lose twice to Oklahoma City is really poor. Um, but, you know, the Spurs have a bit of a tough schedule to go through um, and ho- can hopefully, you know, pull it together as they, they go through this gauntlet and maybe come out of it with a couple of wins. Um, but I would not be surprised if the Spurs start to show, you know, regress back to the mean, for lack of better words, and, you know, obviously lose a bunch of these games. Um, good news for Lakers fans, you do play the Spurs three times in the span of a week, um, you know, right after they kind of go through this gauntlet with a game against the Spurs on the 20th, 25th, and 26th. So while you're sitting around after Thanksgiving, you know, moping about the the Lakers, you can probably rest assured that they'll get a W during the holiday season. So that's enough on the Spurs here. The next big story that kind of developed over the course of the week was the Steve Nash firing yesterday. Um, And it seemingly came, I'm not going to say it came out of nowhere, but I will say that it it caught me at least off off guard. I don't know who else might have it caught off guard or or was surprising that they actually parted ways with Steve Nash. But, you know, the story over the summer was Kevin Durant was clearly unhappy with the front office and management. And, and, you know, Kyrie was also unhappy with the same exact thing. Um, So, you know, you have both your star players fairly upset and the easy move would be to remove the head coach. Now, personally, I thought that, you know, Jacques Vaughn was an easy shoe-in for the coach prior to Steve Nash getting hired. And, you know, it was rumored that he would take over as the interim while they had their search. But I thought it was highly strange that Ime Udoka, within hours of Steve Nash's, you know, news coming out, was already named as the the head coach of the the team, right? Like, he had his situation developing with the Celtics, um, and they seemed to just sweep that under the rug or completely forget about it. The Celtics were ready to move off of Ime, um, and he was named as the Brooklyn head coach within hours. Um, and maybe that's due to his success with the Celtics last year, that he was just a hot commodity, and or maybe you know the extent of what happened in that Celtics front office at least to me, never fully came out. You know, there was talk of a a consensual relationship or some inappropriate acts. And, you know, obviously I'm inclined to side against email just without knowing the facts. Unfortunately, in this kind of situation, um, once he said, she said, you're inclined to lean on this. She said, and unfortunately for, for men in position of powers, you're kind of guilty until proven innocent. Um, and I just haven't seen the facts. So obviously, the Celtics chose to to keep it in house. Brad Stevens was fairly emotional, giving his press press conference about it. So it's kind of, you know, you never really know. But whatever it was, I'm sure Joe Sy and the rest of the Nets uh, front office are aware of the situation and willing to give Ime Udoka another chance to kind of wrangle in this Brooklyn Nets team. Now, it does present quite the opportunity 
for Ime, if he is able to come in and have another championship-esque run or even a conference finals appearance where, you know, Steve Nash failed before him would be very impressive for him as a coach and would be in line with, you know, a working theory I have about just NBA coaches in general. But I did, just getting back to the point here for a second, before getting into that, I thought the timing was very weird, you know, um, and it's not like it hasn't happened before, right? Like, uh, I think of Jason Kidd getting his first or second coaching position where it was made available. No, he retired and then literally like right four days after he retired, he became the head coach of the Bucks. like even though he was playing for Dallas. So it's like, you know, the league talks about tampering and anti-tampering rules and all this stuff. Then you get this kind of thing happening and, and there's no way you know, Ime and Jason Kidd in these situations just went from, hey, this is, I'm over this, and then into this next thing in a matter of days. Like, just for example, like, my wife was approached about getting a new job, and I guess she made the decision fairly quickly, but she still, you know, prior to accepting the new position, uh, which she still hasn't even done, she's just contemplating accepting the new position, but you know, she had already thought about um, keep being a lookout for other opportunities, bigger, better opportunities, and she was pretty unhappy where she was at. Not pretty unhappy, but I would say unsatisfied and unfulfilled would be more accurate. But, you know, so I guess the point is you're never really 100% anywhere, right? The grass is always greener on the other side, and you do want to keep your eye out for other opportunities, and that's kind of a fact of life as well you know and it's just kind of crazy you know there's a statistic that people who do end up you know changing jobs more frequently end up making more because even though you're making horizontal moves as opposed to vertical moves when you make those horizontal moves generally you can you know move your income forward as entry-level positions or you know, open positions tend to, uh, wages tend to rise with inflation at a faster pace than you might get raises at a certain company. So for Ime, this might've been that type of situation. He's like, Hey, this thing with the Celtics is kind of broken. And if Brooklyn is in the need of a player slash coach person with my talents, like, let me just go and go for it. And then Brooklyn, of course, just came with open arms and, and was ready to go. Um, the timing is always suspicious. Everything in the NBA is suspicious, though. I, I think, you know, any move is fairly pre-calculated and figured out days before it gets announced. Um, so very likely, you know, the, the conversation with Ime as he's suspended was, was already in place, just like the conversation with Jason Kidd was already in place, just like the conversation with LeBron, Chris Bosh, and D. Wade was in place well before, you know, his, his big decision for you know, going o over to Miami and starting the big three there. So it happens. Now, I do want to get to this working theory of coaches, but let's take a quick break and we'll come back and get into it. So when it comes to these coaches, it's, it's interesting the amount of head coaches were former players and then the success of the great players as it translates to being a head coach. Now, I don't know how this works 
you know, for other sports like baseball or football or any of that, you know, other sports. But I feel like if it if it's true for the basketball, you know, market, coaching market, it would be true for additional markets, right? Just like if you know how to, you know, trade futures, you probably know how to trade stocks and options and things of that nature, right? The, the, if you can read a chart, you can read a chart, whether it's, you know, any type of instrument or any particular stock versus another stock, right? You know, slight differences, but overall the same. And looking at head coaches, and I had to do a little bit of research on this one, um, but it's kind of it's kind of a crazy situation with this head coaching thing. And as it relates to Steve Nash coming in, like Steve Nash, Hall of Fame player, you know, one of the better point guards of all time, two-time MVP, had those deep, you know, seven seconds or less runs with Mike D'Antoni. But as a coach, floundered, you know, and he's not alone as far as, you know, players and Hall of Fame players that would later move into coaching and even front office roles and not be successful. I mean, the, I think the most famous of which is, is Magic Johnson, right? Magic Johnson is argu- arguably one of the best, if not the best, point guard of all time. But when he came as first as a coach to L.A., L.A. was not successful. And then when he came back as a GM and president of basketball operations, he was not successful. Um, you know, and, and Rob Polinka stepped in as a non-Hall you know, Hall of Famer and led the team to a champion with only a couple of moves. So, you know, that's just one example. Isaiah Thomas, very much the same. Not a ton of success as a coach. ton of success, you know, as a player, obviously, multi-championship, Hall of Famer, um, but was never able to really climb the mountaintop, so to speak, and win that award for their squad. Um, You know, and there's a there's a ton of other ones in that same vein where, you know, they were a Hall of Fame player, but were never able to win a championship, right? Bob Pettit, Bob Lanier, Willis Reed, Elgin Baylor, Bob Cousy, Jerry West, Larry Bird, Jason Kidd, Isaiah Thomas, Wes Unseld, Kevin McHale, Mo Cheeks, Paul Westfall, right? Matter of fact, there's only five players in the history of the league to make it as a Hall of Fame player, and then also win a title as a coach. And most of them played before anybody listening to this was even born or even thought of, right? And the list, as I go through it, is short, right? You have Bill Sharman, who played for the Celtics in the 50s. He played 11 seasons in the league. He's like the first player to average over 40% field goal percentage. He's a Hall of Famer. He has two ABA championships in the 10 seasons as a head coach for three different teams and five finals appearances, right? And that was all the way back when there was like 12 teams and they played against quote-unquote plumbers, right? I don't think they were actually plumbers, right? But I just, you know, you remember the the Jerry West, I think it was J.J. Redick debate from last year. Next, you have Bill Russell, you know, arguably one of the greatest of all time. You know, eight straight championships with the Celtics, 11 championships overall. Two of those chips came as a player coach, so he was still playing and coaching in his 11 chips. Um, But then he took a five-year break from basketball, came back, coached Seattle, 
you know, for four years, missed playoff twice and lost in the second round twice. Coached Sacramento for 58 games in the late 80s and went 17 and 41. So even though he was a Hall of Fame player, he didn't have that translate over to success on the coaching side of things. Tommy Heisen, same thing, right? He was obviously the color commentator for the Celtics for over 30 years, has a lot of love in Boston, was involved with all 17 championships for the Celtics in one way or another. Eight chips as a player, two chips as a head coach, three conference finals losses, and two years missing the playoffs in a short career from 1969 to 1978 as the head coach of the Boston Celtics. You know, to basically miss playoffs only twice and get two chips and five finals appearances um, or five conference finals appearances in a span of eight years is fairly impressive. Um, He's probably the better of all the coaches that were Hall of Fame players that became coaches. Um, But then you have two more that actually were Hall of Fame players and then became coaches that won chips. And the other last two would be Casey Jones, who played from the Celtics from 1958 to 1967. He had eight chips. Lots of Celtics from that era were Hall of Famers. Uh, But can you blame them? I mean, they won like 11 out of 13 years or something like that. Or, yeah, 11 out of 13 years, they won the title. So, obviously, you got a lot of players coming in and out, a lot of Hall of Famers. But Casey Jones was one of them. He played for the Celtics from 1958 to 1967. He had eight chips and then coached for a fairly long time. He coached San Diego uh, to a losing record. He coached Washington. They were, I think, the Bullets or the Capitals at the time to conference semifinals, but then also took him to an NBA finals the following year. Um, he coached Boston to two two chips during a five-year stint in the 80s, right, when he had, like, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and everything like that. Casey Jones was the head coach who they won two chips with in the 80s. And then he coached Seattle to two consecutive seasons of a 500 record in the early 90s. So even then, you know, the five years that he was with the Celtics in, in the 80s, he had one of the best comprised teams, you know, of all time at that point in the Celtics. But other than that, I mean, San Diego was a wash. Washington, at least they went to an NBA Finals and they didn't win. Then he was replaced and they won the following year. Um and then when he came back to coach the Sonics in the early 90s, they were 500 at best. Now, obviously, the players play and the coaches coach, but, you know, it follows the trend that, you know, these Hall of Fame players don't really translate into great NBA coaches, right? So when Steve Nash comes, the only exception is Lenny Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins played in the league for 15 years, but he never won a chip. I think he's like a 13-time NBA All-Star um, in the 15 years that he played uh, in the 70s, in I think early 80s, I want to say. Then he coached for 32 years, and he had a myriad of you know successes and failures, lots of first-round exits, years missing the playoffs, you know, multiple Coach of the Year awards, multiple you know 60% win seasons, um, conference semifinals, conference finals, two finals appearances. And a chip, one chip in the in the 70s, in the beginning of his coaching career, right? Uh, I almost liken it to like Steve Kerr coming in and, and winning instantaneously, Ty Lue coming in and winning instantaneously. They're coming into these great situations um, where apparently they tweak a couple of things and then the team 
ends up winning a championship. Now, does that speak more to them being great coaches, or does that you know come into their situation being great? Lenny Wilkins, you know Ty Lue, Steve Kerr, you know all these you know former players that come in to a great situation and soon to win chips. Right, I was just talking to you know a coworker of mine the other day about this, where, you know, and I've talked about this during the Warriors episode. If you want to go back and listen to the extended thing on Mark Jackson, but it's like, who says if Mark Jackson doesn't get fired, that they still don't win that chip in 2015? The Warriors, I mean, you know, and same thing with with Ty Lue and and who he replaced in Cleveland, David Blatt or whatever, right? Bring in Ty Lue. Does Draymond still get suspended and the Warriors still, you know, blow a 3-1 lead? Or was the coaching that great when Ty Lue came in? Or did Ty Lue come into a, a great situation in Cleveland and capitalize on it and lead to a championship? The world may never know. The records are just going to say this coach came in and it was great, right? Now, if you kind of flip the equation a little bit, some of the most winningest coaches in all time were for lack of a better word, scrubs, scrubs in the NBA, right? And let me just point to everybody's, you know, greatest um, coach, quote, you know, of, of all time, um, Phil Jackson, right? 13 rings. Everybody says, hey, he's got six with Jordan. He's got five with uh, Kobe and two as a player. But nobody remembers that. The second ring with the Knicks, he didn't even play. He was doing a photo journal book sitting on the sidelines. And then you had, you know, the other season where they won a chip where he was coming off the bench and really didn't contribute all that much, you know. And as you go through the rest of the, you know, the list of winningest coaches of all time, I mean, it just gets more and more, you know, they played less. Doc Rivers, he averaged 10 points, 5 assists, and 3 rebounds in like 8 years of playing. So he played a long time but didn't play that great. George Carl, selected in the 4th round of the NBA draft by the Knicks, but chose to sign with the Spurs. He spent 3 years as the starting point guard, but basically played limited minutes after those 3 years and then retired in 1978. Short, unlived career. Pat Riley. Played three seasons with the Rockets after he was selected by the Portland Trailblazers. Then he was traded to the Lakers where he played for five seasons but never really saw the light of day. Um, Was a reserve on the 1972 championship team. But nobody ever remembers Pat Riley as a player, right? But he's one of the best coaches and, and GMs of all time. Jerry Sloan, Don Nelson, you know. All those play, all these great quote unquote coaches and front office people weren't Hall of Fame players. They weren't even star players. They were just regular Joe Schmo guys that got on the team that probably got their foot in the door. And then if you look at the greatest of all time, you know, especially in today's league, right? You're looking at Popovich, never played a minute in his life. Red Auerbach, never played a minute in his life. Eric Spolstra, never played a minute in his life. NBA basketball, right? I and mean, some of these players had. Obviously, you know, uh, careers in college and played high school and obviously have a, a deep love of the game. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the best, best, best coaches of all time, the ones that end up being coaches for the longest, don't have prior NBA playing experience. They just don't. Right. 
Um, you know, there's a few exceptions and everything like that, but the vast majority don't. Even if you look at today's league, right, 11 head coaches today have had NBA playing experience, and really none of them are significant, you know, star players, right? You have like Ty Lue, Steve Kerr, Darvin Ham, uh, Willie Green, Ime Udoka, you know, all these players are former players, no doubt, championship team role players, right? Steve Kerr, Ty Lue, but ultimately, they aren't known as star players, they're role players, and then even the best of all time, we're, we're never NBA players, and in today's league, some of the best coaches that are active coaches right now and never played. Dwayne Casey, Nick Nurse, right? Spolstra, Finch, the list goes kind of on and on, right? Billy Donovan, Michael Malone, Taylor Jenkins, Mike Budenholzer, Tom Thibodeau, right? All Mike Brown, all these names I just named didn't play in the NBA, and they're widely regarded as some of the better coaches in the league. You know, Doc Rivers, Monty Williams, Chauncey Billups, right? These are probably your better coaches that used to be players. Jason Kidd, right? Stephen Kerr, you know, Steve Kerr. Um, And I still will stand on the fact that it's Steve Kerr's basically right place, right time. And that's my coach. That's my team, you know? He's done a great job. The team's been very good for years and years. So, you know, maybe I could be wrong about this. Maybe Mark Jackson would have done good. I don't know, right? But the better coaches in the league were not former players, and they were definitely not former star players, right? So when you see Steve Nash flounder out, is anybody really surprised? Is anybody really surprised, right? Magic, Bird, right? They couldn't get it done. Kevin McHale couldn't get it done, right? Even Jordan wasn't that great as a front office person. He owns the Hornets, and the Hornets have been bad forever. Hornets also caught some bad breaks, broke a few laws. I feel like the Hornets are low-key like the Raiders of the NBA. They just can't stay out of their own way and can't stay out of trouble. Um, But to the point about the head coaches, right, obviously Ime is going to fill this role. But when you look at the 18 other coaches in the league that haven't had NBA experience, you think the talent for coaching swings their way. And you look at the 11 or 12 coaches in the league that have had player experience, they're not that great as coaches, right? You got a couple of them mixed in there that are pretty good. But the vast majority aren't good coaches, and they aren't weren't star players. So, Steve, you know, hopefully you go back to Canada. Everything's honky-dory. They love you over there. You're a national hero. We'll always remember you and your time as a son and a maverick, but not so much as a net. And with that, hope everybody stays safe. Enjoy November. Thanksgiving coming up. Get your Christmas decorations out. Put your Halloween decorations away. Don't let them sit there forever. It's just gross. Enjoy your candy, your cold weather, your pumpkin spice while it lasts, all that good stuff. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe at PJ Showcase on Instagram, Twitter, everything like that. Going to get to the picks. I've been meaning to post them. But, you know, just this league is kind of hard to figure out. And, uh, you know, as we get closer to Thanksgiving, we'll start to be more consistent. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. And until then, 
Bye-bye. Thank you.